Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. All right, so we are concluding our series, Work in Progress. We are in James chapter 5, and we will be finishing the book of James tonight. So please turn with me to James chapter 5, and we're going to read it, starting in verse 1. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives in the later rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. I lost my place on my computer because there's a big arrow in the way. It's really awkward. Um, you, oh, you have heard. Okay, yeah, there's like an arrow over the herd. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear. The arrow's there again. <laughs> Either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. So we're going to be camping out. Um, let's pray because my computer needs it and I need it. Lord, I just, um, I believe by faith that your spirit's already here, Lord, and I thank you for that. I thank you that when um, two or more of your people are gathered, that you're in our presence, God. So I pray that you would um, do a work in your people, Lord. Give us hearts to receive what you have, Lord. Help us to hear um, words as you speak to us individually, God. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. So two weeks ago, I taught in youth on a Sunday. And what I taught was what we inherit when we place salvation in Jesus. And so on the screen will be um, kind of a summarization of what that teaching was about and um, the first point was we receive salvation. When we place faith in Jesus Christ, we receive, first of all, salvation. We are no longer separated from eternal life with Jesus as a result of our sin. Secondly, we receive new life. We are born again. We are made a new person through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thirdly, we um, find new permanence as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did, ultimately. So we access um, eternity in heaven. Fourthly, we kind of take on these new trials, and as a result, um, we develop new faith. And fifthly, we inherit new joy. Joy knowing the character is being produced in us as a result of the working of God in our life and the trials, and that we have a purpose, and that we are loved by God, and that we have been redeemed. So these are things that we receive when we are saved. But what are things that we do once we're saved? Um, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. 
Growing up, I was homeschooled, as you can probably tell because I'm really awkward. Uh, no, no shame on homeschoolers. It's just a thing. But um, I was homeschooled, so I was home a lot, um, like all the time. And so my mom was my teacher. She was my principal, whatever. I get it. It's funny. Um, I was homeschooled. But I was home a lot, and so sometimes my mom would have to leave the house to go run an errand, which would leave me at the house by myself. Uh, you know where this is going, maybe. Um, there, there's a, when, when no one's home supervising you, you can do, like, whatever you want, kind of. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you should, but you can. You can do more things and get away with it. So, you know, the carton in the ice cream freezer or the marshmallows in the pantry start to look a little more enticing and attainable than when your mother is sitting in the living room. Uh, and so I would indulge myself in these things because, well, my mom's not there. And, I, I mean, if she's not there and I don't have schoolwork to do, I'm just sitting around doing nothing. You know what I mean? She left, and she was coming back, but there was a time in between where I had this opportunity to do things. And we read in the Bible that Jesus left. He died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and went back to heaven. And is going to come back one day. And so as a result of his death and resurrection, we have access to salvation. And that's something that we can grab hold of by placing faith in Jesus, believing in our heart, and confessing with our mouth. But after that point, what do we do? What do we do while we wait for Jesus to come back? And that's what I want to talk about. Point number one, we choose the right riches. And the way I see it, we have kind of two options here. A, we have riches that fade. In James 5, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are mothy, and your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on earth and in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. James here is kind of, uh, well, it sounds like he's rebuking rich people. Now, we know that um, Jesus counted amongst his followers people who monetarily were wealthy. They were doing better than other people. Uh, people like Zacchaeus and Barnabas. They had a lot of money. Um, so, this passage isn't saying that Jesus hates all rich people, and if you're rich, then sorry, you don't get salvation. The people that James is talking about here are people who are financially doing well, but they are abusive and manipulative of their wealth, and ultimately they love their money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He's speaking to people who use their wealth to their own gain or for the sake of worldly pleasures, regardless of how it affects other people. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with working hard at a job or owning a business or having Bitcoin or any of that stuff. But the problem arises when there's a love for money. And so we live in a culture that idolizes image. Cars, watches, phones, shoes, AirPods, these things that if you have them, then you have a status 
that is, it's desirable by other people. And, and our culture likes to put value on these things. I mean, even like, like tonight when I was getting ready, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear? And I like put on like three different shirts and I was like, who cares what I wear? Nobody cares. And I'm going to wear something different tomorrow and this shirt's going to be dirty and I'm going to wash it and I'm going to wear it in two weeks. Like nobody cares. Anyway, um, and so we need to realize that our image and our identity are not in the things that we wear and the things that we own and, and the cars that we have and the ha- all that stuff. Our image and our identity are in Christ. We are wanted and chosen and loved by him. Um, I, I get like investing things on my Instagram discover page. And one of them recently, actually, I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. Uh, it says that buy only what you would if no one knew what you did. Um, which is a very interesting concept. I feel like it makes us think about, like, that thing that I want, if nobody knew that I bought it, would I still want it? Or do I just want it because people are going to see that I have it, and they're going to think that, um, well, I'm wealthy, I'm doing well, I'm of an upper class. We should invest our, our money and ultimately our time in things that are going to bring glory to God. Matthew uh, 19, 6 through 22, kind of illustrate this heart problem. It says, now behold, one came and said to him, Jesus, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, this is the, the rich guy talking, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this story is not a blanket statement. Jesus is not telling all of his followers to sell all their belongings and follow him. If that were the case, uh, I mean, Christians would just all be hobos, which, I don't know, that probably wouldn't work out. But what he is doing is he's highlighting a heart problem that this rich young man has. And that's the love for his possessions. So I would suggest to you that the, the problem may not be the things that you have, but a problem does arise when you aren't willing to give up those things for the sake of God. We don't want to idolize possessions <laughs> over Jesus. In verse 2 of James 5, it says, Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. At the end of the day, Things that we attain here on earth, physical things, are just going to be gone when the world ends. They're corrupted. They're going to fade away. But we have a choice between riches that fade and, secondly, riches that last. Luke 16, 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit you and your trust the true riches? He's telling us that there are true riches. Um, what God does bless you with, we are called to be a good steward of that thing. 
And so this verse tells us that there are true riches. But what, is, what does that mean? Matthew 6, 19 through 22, or 21 say this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. This is reiterating that thought um, that we read in James 5. Where neither moth nor rust destroy. Oh, uh, sorry. But it says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So while the riches of this world fade away, we can lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven that are permanent. And how do we do that? We trust in God. We glorify him. We serve other people. And we invest in the furthering of his kingdom. And that's how we store up heavenly gifts. Now, what do heavenly gifts look like? I have no idea. But I do know that any gift that doesn't fade away and is called a heavenly gift is going to be better than anything that I'm going to find here on earth. So we have a choice between choosing riches that fade, spending our life pursuing things that are going to be corrupted and possibly corrupt us, or we can choose riches that last and glorify God. Point number two, we can practice proper patience. A, you like my alliteration there? In homeschooling, you get extra points for that. Um, (laughs) So A, proper patience waits. Um, We just sang that song, Wait on You, which is a great song. It reminds me of uh, Matthew Schlitt. But it says, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) was that to shame? It says, wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength. The promise comes from the book of Isaiah. uh, In chapter 40, verse 31, it says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles and shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew your strength. I, I know I need a renewing of my strength. And there is a strength that we have access to as followers of God that we can't get in a cat nap. And we can't get from a Celsius. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a strength that, that we, can't, we can't get otherwise. And so we can depend on God for him to give us that strength. But in order to do that, it says we need to wait on him. And so waiting on God means realizing that we're dependent on him, seeking him for strength, being still and listening to him, and seeking him for direction. And we do these things through uh, prayer and reading his word, talking to him. (laughs) The more that you know about God, the more that you realize that you need him. And when we are still and we listen, the more we're able to hear his voice speaking to us. So I'd encourage you to wait on the Lord. B, proper patience works. So proper patience doesn't just wait and sit around the whole time. Proper patience works. In verse 7 it says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James compares the way that we are to be patient to how a farmer is patient. And farmers don't just dig a hole in the ground and chuck a seed in it and pray that it grows. 
if you have a garden, you know that there's more to it than that. You till the ground, you plant the seed, you protect it against bugs and animals. Sometimes you have to stake it so it doesn't fall over. There's a attentive manner in which the farmer watches over his crops. He establishes his crops. And in chapter in verse 8, it says, establish your hearts. So we aren't called to just sit around and act as if life um, hasn't changed after we receive salvation. Because Jesus is coming back. And we have access to abundance li- abundant life in him. Um, and so in between the times where we're waiting on God, we are called to advance his kingdom. We're called in the Bible to go and make disciples. And I just want to point out that the full-time farmer doesn't, like, leave his crops to go be an accountant. Um, The full-time farmer is a full-time farmer. That's his job. And um, likewise, we are called to be full-time Christians. You can't be a Christian the week after you receive salvation and then hope to be the week before you go to heaven. God's calling us to be Christians, to have a relationship with him as we walk throughout our whole life. It's not a one and done thing. He wants us to continue to place faith in him and allow him to grow us, to establish our hearts. See um, proper patience withstands. Verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of joy and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This is a simple one. I like simple ones because I can wrap my head around them. We are called to be patient in our interactions with other people and in our trials. We're called to exhort and not complain. He says, don't grumble against one another. That's a very a very basic thing. I feel like most people know from birth not to complain because you complain and your parents tell you, say please or whatever. We know not to complain. We know we shouldn't, but we do. I mean, I catch myself when it's quiet complaining because I don't know what else to say. And that's not how we're called to carry ourselves as Christians. We're called to uplift people around us and to persevere through trials, knowing that as a result of trials, our faith is being furthered. Um, it wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't tell a sailing story. Um, this one's a little different. This one's not like a crazy storm story. I was, so I did, uh, for those of you that don't know, I did sailing competitively. And so we like would travel and like do races and stuff. This is for you, Ben. Um, <laughs> he like came up that to me after Sunday and was like, dude, where's the freaking um, sailing reference? Uh, anyway. So we had had a full day of competitive sailing. So like going around the course multiple times, like you're just you're pulling in your lines. It was windy. You're fighting against the wind. It's a tiring thing. I think it was probably raining a little bit. And so we do all this racing, and then it's time for bed. It's like probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I'm just tired. 
and we were sleeping on these 23 to 27-foot sailboats, and I was um, fortunate enough to sleep on the biggest one, and that extra four feet makes a big difference. And so I found myself in the biggest bed on the boat after a long, hard day of sailing, and I was, I was so happy to be in that bed. And so I get my blanket, and I close my eyes, and then I hear this voice above the cabin, and, and my friend Harry's like, JJ, go downstairs. And they basically kicked his little brother out of another boat and told him to go sleep in the bed with me. So now this bed that seems big and it's this big has become this big because, you know, it's like distancing and stuff. And I was, it, was just, it was frustrating. Um, but I was patient. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I'm trying to get across. When things like that happen to us, things that um, irk our flesh, we're called to be patient and not grumble. Third point, and then we're done. Talk truthfully. And this is a big one. He says, because he says above all, which means it, it's a big one. He says, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. We've all heard the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? There's a kid who wants attention, probably because he was homeschooled. I'm just kidding. Um, but, and he says, ah, oh, there's a wolf. And <laughs> I'm allowed to say it, okay? Um, but he cries, there's a wolf, and people come running, and there's no wolf, and he's like, ah, I got you, and then they leave, and he's like, man, I need attention again, and he's like, oh, there's a wolf again, and so they come running, and then he's like, ah, and then the third time, he's just chilling, rummaging through his Lego bin, because he's homeschooled, and um, a wolf shows up, and he's like, ah, there's a wolf, and his parents are like, dude, take a nap, it's nap time, 20-minute nap time, but the idea is that he lied so many times that when he was telling the truth, no one took his word for it. And so we as Christians are to talk truthfully. Be truthful in, one, what we say. We are to say yes when we mean yes and no when we mean no. Our words should hold weight and truth. We are to be people of integrity. But also, we are to be truthful <laughs> And what we don't say. Don't leave out a part of the truth or tell half-truths or swear. If you're the kind of person that has to be like, swear to God or like, on my mama or whatever, or on whatever, then you might have a track record of being someone who's not telling the truth. Just saying. So we're not to swear. We're to let our yes be yes and our no be no and our yes be the full truth, not a partial truth. Um. On a sailing trip one time, uh, it was a windy day, and so the, there's a part in the boat called the tiller. It's like the wood steering stick thing, and it was a windy day, so our boat's like kind of on, a, on a, like a 45-degree angle. I think that's what that is. Uh, I don't know. I was homeschooled, and um, I'm sorry. Anyway, it was a windy day, and so I was sitting on the higher part of the boat, and I slipped, and I fell on the tiller, and it cracked. Yeah. Not enough to where it would break. I tied, a, I tied a rope around it, and we were fine. But um, after we arrived at our destination, the guy who owned the boat was like, whoa, dude, there's a crack in the tiller. I wonder how that happened. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I don't know. That's crazy. And so what I was doing was I was withholding the truth from him. And we're not, we're not supposed to be people who do that. We're supposed to let our yes be yes and our no be no. 
Luke 16, 10 says this, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And who, who, he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. When we're faithful in things that seem little, like our yeses and our noes, we are able to be faithful with more. And I think God will reward us for that. So to wrap it all up, don't have time, but in the verses that come after this, rapid fire, James kind of tells us um, problems that we face and then solutions that there are for them. And so what we see in these verses is that there are problems, Ben, you can come up here. Um, There are problems we face here on earth that can be, that have heavenly solutions. So we have access to God's word here on earth so that we can navigate our time here in a way that is glorifying to him and fulfilling. And um, it's said pretty often that the Bible is like the instruction manual for life. And so don't receive salvation and (laughs) not read the instruction manual. Because there's calls to action in there about things that we should do things that we need to get rid of in our life. And so don't neglect the instruction of Jesus. So we are to choose the right riches, riches that last, heavenly rewards that will never fade. We are to be patient in suffering as we expect Jesus to return and patiently wait out what he has called us to. And then finally, we're supposed to be truthful in our speech and our conduct. And those are just a couple things. There's a lot of things that we can do. And it's, it's nice because we have an instruction manual. You know what I mean? We're not, we are not entering into salvation and then, like, God just kind of like, all right, go for it. Like, figure it out. Follow your own heart kind of thing. There's a reality that Jesus has given us access to salvation, but he's also given us access to his spirit and his word so that we can live in a way that glorifies him and brings other people to that same salvation. And so, I know I've been here. Maybe you feel like um, you've received salvation, but you've just kind of been waiting around. Let me just encourage you to... Spend time in God's word, in his instruction book, because he directs us, he tells us how to act. Um, Maybe you feel like you're just kind of wandering. Maybe you feel like it's more fun to invest in riches that fade. Let me just encourage you, um, from my limited experience, that's not worth it. Riches that fade are never, ever going to fill the gap that riches that last will fade. They're never going to fill the gap that relationship with Jesus will fade. So if you feel like you've been wandering, let me tell you that there is a place you can turn, and that is God's word. Also, if you feel like you've been wandering, um, please talk to me or talk to Nate or talk to Shane afterwards, um, and we'd love to pray for you. But the, the beautiful thing about the church is that we all get to do this together. You know what I mean? We all get to, we're not 
We're, not, we're called not to grumble and complain. We're called to exhort and uplift other people. So as we all read this same instruction manual and walk throughout our different life circumstances, we are able to uplift each other and, and help each other and give each other advice and, and a shoulder to lean on. So you're not doing it alone. There's people next to you. There's, there's people around you that are there to do it with you. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into worship.